All right. So we just finished First Timothy, and Paul wrote that letter to the to his son in the faith, Timothy. And at the time, Timothy was. It seems that he was considering quitting, because one of the things that he had to be exhorted to do was to stay. And and you need to pray for those who are in ministry, whether they're missionaries or pastors or however they may be serving, because they are under an attack. And there is a, there is a, a times when they go through difficulty and they may want to quit. But along with the letter to Titus, First and Second Timothy and Titus, they're all written by the Apostle Paul toward the end of his life. Most believe this book that we're going to look at today is at the very end of his life. These are the last words that he's going to be writing. So while you turn the page and we see what happens in First Timothy, and we'll talk about that just for a moment, we turn a page and we think it's like the next day. But it's actually several years later, and we're going to see that the circumstances and everything has changed a little bit. And we'll talk about some of the content of the, of the entire letter, and then we will get into the text. So this was written by the Apostle Paul. I'm talking about speaking of both First and Second Timothy. To encourage Timothy as he faces heavy burdens and the responsibility of pastoring the church in Ephesus. He not only encourages young Timothy as he seemed to be on the verge of quitting, as I said, but he passed on some very valuable practical instruction. If you were here as we went through First Timothy, it's a very practical book on how the church should function. The key verse, I believe, is, is 1 Timothy 3.15. I write to you so that you may know that you ought to conduct yourself, how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of truth. So what are some of the things he told him in, in, in 1 Timothy? First, how to deal with false teachers and false doctrines and myths. Were there muthos for, for fables? And we have it in the church today where people are teaching false doctrine. And the only way we're going to know if it's true or false is if we compare it to the word of God. Amen? I'm concerned when I go into a church and I don't see people with Bibles. And I've, or if you, you can kind of tell where a church is at by the people coming in through the parking lot. If they're holding Bibles in their hands, that's a good sign. Because guys, it's the word of God that transforms lives. Amen? He then spoke of the emphasis on prayer. He talked about the role of women in the church. He talked how the church should reflect Jesus, both in the character of the people and the content of the message. He talked about how a good, godly, and growing ministry by preaching the word, practicing the word, and growing in the word. He talked about how God wants his people to be treated, how we're to treat each other in ministry, how those in leadership are to uh, treat those that they minister to, both the men and women and those in need, and then how the people who they serve are to treat those who serve them. How to identify leaders within the church and how living in light of eternity should change our perspective on every aspect of life. So if you were not here, you can go to our website. We have CDs in the back as well. And you can look, go through 1 Timothy, super practical book. If you were here last week, we looked at, at a glimpse of heaven. And part of that was seen in the way that we do our work. We talked about the fact that we do our job as unto the Lord. Can I get an amen to that? It's good for a man to work. A man who does not work shall not eat. A man who does not provide for his family is worse than an unbeliever. We want to continue to help the needy, but never prop up the lazy. Can I get an amen to that? It's a biblical concept. How do we handle God's word in dealing with false teachers? Where do you find your contentment? Last week, a verse I quote often, godliness with contentment is great gain. And as Christians, we should be content with food, shelter, and Jesus. Can I get an amen? We don't need a bunch of other stuff and a lot of the stuff that we strive after. Your flesh will never be satisfied. And then we talked about the battles we fight uh, between the spiritual, you know, spiritual and eternal and the temporal. 
And then how to handle your wealth. What should we do with the money we have? All our resources belong to the Lord. If you've been coming to Calvary Chapel at all, if you're new today, you need to know we don't even pass an offering here because I want people to give from a cheerful heart. And we know that God will provide and we'll never have a thermometer on the wall and we'll never ask you for money, never. You know why? Because if I have to ask, where God guides, God provides. Can I get an amen to that? You'll hear guys on the radio, if you don't give this week, we're going off the air, then you should go off the air, bro. Because if you have to beg and pound people, uh, the Lord is faithful to provide as he is calling. Can I get an amen to that? And we need to be faithful with our finances and then how we handle our gifting. So time has passed. So that letter is very practical. Great letter. Tells us how the church should function. But now things have changed. In a few years, we come to the second letter. Between the two letters, Paul administered in Macedonia on the island of Crete where he left Titus to pastor a church. In Achaia in southern Greece, in Troas, where he was once again arrested. Now, last time, when he was writing from prison, he was under house arrest. And he was often chained to a guard, but he had people could come and see him. Well, well now he's under arrest, but it's a whole different program. Because now he's under Nero's thumb. And he's in a cave, more than likely, with you know no light and uh, no windows, and they're dropping food down through the top. So he's in this, he's in this windowless cave, and he knows that, it, that Nero is more than likely going to take his life at any moment. And Paul writes this letter from that perspective. And he's writing it during a time, unlike the time earlier in imprisonment, not only were things gotten worse for Paul, but things had gotten worse, period. Again, as Paul's imprisoned, Paul wrote these words, this last will and testament to his precious son in the faith and his co-labor in the gospel and the body of believers who are enduring their greatest persecution to date. And we talked about this guy a little bit. I'm just taking a few minutes because I, I think you know, take a text out of context. I got left the con. Can I get an amen to that? And so we want to understand what, where was Paul when he wrote it and who was he writing to? Because he's going to make some really heavy challenges. And some of these challenges he makes, when you understand what they're going through, the challenges become even more serious. It was a dangerous time during Nero to be a Christian, and even more so a Christian leader. In AD 64, Nero set Rome on fire and blamed it on the Christians, just so he could stir up the people against the Christians. Persecution for Christians became great. It was fueled by the false accusations. He said they said that Christians were cannibals and they, that they offered human sacrifice, that they were caught up in sexual depravity. Of course, none of that was true. The church being falsely accused. Does that sound familiar? Amen? We don't care about your health, evidently, because we're having church. But you know what? I care about your physical health, but I'm far more concerned about where you are spiritually. Can I get an amen to that? And that's more important. So Nero arrested those who openly professed to be Christians. And then through them, he would torture them to gain the names of other Christians. And not only did he kill them, but he made their deaths a source of amusement. This is the time when Christians were being fed to lions. They would cover them in animal skins and throw them out to the lions. Where, and, and they would be uh, you know, torn to pieces. Some he would cover in pitch alive, which is like hot tar, and then set them on fire. And often he would put them on poles to serve after they've been burned to death. They would continue to burn and they would be the lanterns for his garden. And he would ride through it naked on his horse laughing. Nero was no joke. A lot of people uh, consider him a type or a picture of the Antichrist. It was during this time that Paul writes this letter to Timothy and the church, and he moves from encouraging them in church conduct to exhorting them to stand strong in the faith. 
He was encouraging them in church conduct. Now he's exhorting them to stand strong in the faith. Look, we, we as a nation really have no idea what persecution is. But if we've ever been even close to being persecuted, it's right now. Pray for a good friend of mine. He pastors the Calvary Chapel in San Jose where Rob McCoy and I were youth pastors together. He has accumulated $350,000 in fines from the county because he's having church. And they're going to court tomorrow, so keep them in your prayers. But, you know, we, we're in a position right now where they're telling us what our rights are, contrary to what, first of all, we do this because God commands it. Can I get an amen? And we do have a constitution that says we have the freedom to gather. And so we're going to gather. Can I get an amen to that? And we're not going to stop gathering. And we're never closing the church again. I don't care if they shut the whole place down. We're going to have church. And if they haul us off to prison, we'll just have a prison ministry. Can I get an amen? So look, he's exhorting them at a time when people are dying to stand firm in the faith. To stand strong in the faith. In 2 Timothy, we're going to see many of my favorite verses. I love to read this, chat, I love to read this book over and over, at least a couple times a year as a pastor. Many have been walking with and serving the Lord when things got, were easier. We're now becoming, when things have become harder, they were, they were bailing. A lot of the people said, yeah, I love Jesus until they were threatened. And some of them were walking away from the faith. And because of that, Paul was exhorting Timothy not only for him to stand strong in the faith, but also for the rest of the believers. You've heard me say it, a faith that hasn't been tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. It's one thing to be on a cruise ship to heaven and have everything be perfect and to say you love the Lord. And it's another thing when your livelihood or even your health or even your freedom is put on the line to continue to stand for the Lord. So Paul's exhortation to stand strong in the faith in the midst of great perse persecution applies not only to the Christians uh, in, the, in his time, or the Christians today in China and Iraq and India and Vietnam, it applies to the people of Calvary Chapel, Calabasas 2,000 years later. Can I get an amen? So as we go through this, I want us all to be mindful that where persecution is, again, often God brings the greatest revival. Often it's in the midst of persecution that we all have to make a decision if our faith is real. Are we just playing Christianity or is Jesus Christ truly the most important thing in our life? Guys, we shouldn't be living a watered-down, lukewarm, you know, California Christianity. We should be just as passionate, just as sold out as those who are willing to die for Jesus. Here's some key verses, and then we'll get into the text. One of them comes in Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, whenever I get a chance to teach pastors, I teach Acts chapter 20. I believe it's the first pastor's conference ever, and it's Paul meeting with the Ephesian elders. So the elders from this very church where Timothy is pastoring. And he said this, I'm innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not failed to declare to you the whole counsel of God. By the way, just your pastor's opinion. It's kind of hard to teach the whole counsel of God if you're not teaching verse by verse through the whole counsel of God. If you're teaching topics, you're going to miss entire books of the Bible. You're going to skip by stuff. You're going to focus on what's, what you, know, you think the people need to hear. Can I encourage you? I'll tell you what you need to hear. Every bit of this. Amen. Me too. Can I get an amen? amen? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by whole counsel of God. Second Timothy, final words. Again, this exhortation. And here's some of the key verses. It's in chapter 2, verse 34. We'll get there in a couple weeks. You, therefore, must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. You know, if you're fighting in the midst of a battle, you're not bummed out because you haven't been able to remodel the kitchen yet. Can I get an amen? 
Paul's not sitting in a cave bummed out about his house back home. When you're engaged in eternal, our focus is not going to be on the temporal. Can I get an amen? And again, doesn't mean we don't go to work every day. Then he says, study to show yourself approved. This is 2 Timothy 2.15. A workman that need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. He, tell, he exhorts Timothy, your people are facing life and death. This is a spiritual battle that is taking place. And here's what you are called to do as a pastor. Study to show yourself approved. A workman that need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. That's a word for pastors today. I had a friend say, if they don't bother studying, I'm not gonna bother listening. Can I get an amen? And I think that's, va- that's valid and that's fair. Second uh, Timothy three sixteen and 17 says this. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and thoroughly equipped for every good work. And that word all there means all. Can I get an amen? So all scripture. Well, we kind of skip over that book and we're not so sure. Well, James doesn't mention Jesus and Esther and we got guys, the whole counsel of God. Amen. And we need to read all of it, study it, read it, obey it. It says in chapter four of this, all in the same book, preach the word, be instant in season and out of season, repute, re- reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. This again, words in the midst of persecution wasn't, hey, go hide. Hey, you're my, bro- you're my buddy. You know what? You've done enough. Go hide. Don't get yourself in trouble. No, study to show yourself approved. Preach the word with boldness. Do not be ashamed of the gospel. And then Paul's own epitaph at the end of this book is, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Lord, let that be true of all of us. Amen? That I have fought the good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. So there's a clear connection between standing firm in the midst of great trials and persecution and remaining faithful amidst amidst the faithless. Right now, again, please, there's exceptions to every rule. I don't understand pastors whose churches aren't open, and some have said they're not opening till next summer. Time to quit, bro. Because the reality is, if you don't think we need to be gathering together, you're not reading your Bible. Can I get an amen? And, and you know, and again, I get it. We encourage people in this church that are susceptible, that feel like they're, you know, they're uh, at risk, to stay home and watch on Zoom. And we love you, those of you watching on Zoom. Now, again, Zoom is for the older and sick, not the lazy. Can I get an Amen. <laughs> Get in your car and drive to church. We love you. We miss you. We need you here. Can I get an amen to that? That's called exhort. I just was told to exhort by the, what verse I just read you. So here it comes. Amen. Emphasizing and esteeming, studying the, and holding fast to the whole counsel of God. And God's word serves as an anchor in the midst of the world's storm. Sadly, so much of the church today is watering down or denying the word of God because we're more concerned about being popular with men than being faithful to God. Let that never be so. Amen? Amen. So now we come to 2 Timothy. We're going to begin in chapter 1. We won't get through the whole chapter. I know that because I have 84 pages of notes, so that's not going to happen. <laughs> but we're going to, we'll get to where we get, and when time's up, we'll stop, and we'll pick it up next week. But Paul has had a glimpse of heaven. So Paul's in a cave. Paul's under duress. Paul knows his life could end at any time. Paul is not able to go out and evangelize. But Paul also has a burden to see people go to heaven. And Paul's focus isn't on his torment. His focus is on people who don't know the Lord. 
And guys, I want to tell you, that will change your life when you quit focusing on the trials you're going through and start being focused on people that need Jesus. Can I get an amen? And that's the Apostle Paul's heart. And in this morning's text, we're going to see in both examples to follow and exhort, exhortations to heed, to live a life that will be fruitful now and have an impact on eternity. So if you have the outline, grab it. We'll go through this and then we'll dig into the text. And every time I start a new book, I take a few minutes. I want to help you understand. So we know where Paul is now. By the way, Nero is going to have him decapitated. He's going to lose his head. And this is the very end of his life. And these are Paul's final words to his son in the faith, but also to Calvary Chapel, Calabasas. Again, the Holy Spirit writes it, just using Paul's hand. We want to understand what he's going through. So I titled the message, Living a Life That Will Impact Eternity. First, how do we do that? By being a person of prayer. Bible says we should make, we, the Lord said, you shall make my father's house a house of. Bible says to pray without ceasing for this is the will of God. Now, one of the things that will happen, and most of you know, in 2009, from July of 2009 to April 2010, I was in and out of the hospital for almost 10 months. And while I was not able to use the gift of teaching and the things God's called me to do, the one thing I had a lot of time to do laying in a hospital for 10 months is pray. And sometimes when we're physically in a position where we, where we can't serve or we're in circumstances where we can't serve, something we can all do is pray. Can I get an amen to that? And we need to look at prayer as not a secondary thing. It's a mighty thing. It's a spiritual battle we're fighting. We need to be people of prayer. Number two, in living a life that will impact eternity, by passing your faith on to the next generation. The greatest things we can do for our kids is give them Jesus. Amen? Amen? Our kids need to see Jesus in our lives and they need to hear Jesus taught from our mouths and our words and they need to see Jesus honored in our homes and we need to bring our children to a church where the word of God is being taught. Can I get an amen to that? And so we love our children's ministry. We praise God for the faithful servants down there and every one of them that's serving in the children's ministry is doing it because they're called by God. Amen? And guess what? Everything that happens down there is, is every bit, if not more important than what's taking place in here. Amen? That next generation needs to know about Jesus. So how do we live a life that impacts eternity? Impact the next generation. If the Lord tarries, we want to see our... I pray all my kids love Jesus more than I do. Amen? Number three, by using the spiritual gifts God has given you. Uh, there's an assistant pastor at some church somewhere that says this every week. Joshua, thank you, bro. God didn't save us to be pew potatoes. Amen? He didn't save us so we could be the biggest, fattest, best-fed sheep in town. And we can just... Right? He saved us to equip us to use, that we might use the gifts he's given us for his glory. Amen? And if we've been sitting on the sidelines, sometimes that happens. You're set on the sidelines for a while. I want to encourage you, if you've been on the sidelines for a while, be praying about how God would use you. And start using the gifts God's given you. Stir up and awaken the gifts. Don't bury them in the sand. We, won't, we probably won't get to four of this today. We'll see. By not being ashamed of the truth of the gospel. We are not to be ashamed of the truth of the gospel. We are not to water down the truth of the gospel. We are not to hide our faith out of fear of men. We're going to see in today's text, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. Can I get an amen to that? And so people that walk around afraid and you're worried about what people... Look, be loving, be kind, be gracious, but be bold. Amen? Amen? In Acts chapter 1, he said, the Holy Spirit shall come upon you, and you shall be what? You shall be what? Witnesses to me. 
You know, when the Holy Spirit is upon you, you cannot help. You cannot help but tell. Look, I love my wife, and I love to introduce people to my wife. She's down in the children's ministry most of the time. Some of you go, who's your wife? She's in the children's ministry loving on our kids. But let me say this. I love her, and I love to introduce her to other people because I love her, and she's my wife. But you know what? I love Jesus more, and I really need to be introducing him to more people. Can I get an amen? And we're going to see that exhortation not to be ashamed of the truth of the gospel, but to boldly proclaim it. Next week, we'll see by being willing to suffer in the temporal for the sake of the eternal. For our light affliction, which is for but a moment, it's working for us a far more exceedingly internal weight of glory. And then finally, by holding fast to the word of God. So let's go to verse 1 of 2 Timothy. Again, don't panic. We probably won't get through the whole chapter today. But we're going to begin there in verse 1. So remember, where's Paul? sitting in prison. Uh, this is his last letter that he ever writes in his lifetime. He's writing it to his son in the faith, somebody who he loves dearly. We could even say maybe his closest friend on this planet. We know the Holy Spirit is the one writing through him. His life is on the line, and he writes this letter to Timothy and to the church in Ephesus that he's ministering to and to us today. Here's what he says. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus. We know this from scripture. I know I say this every time we look at a new letter, but they wrote them on scrolls. And so you'll see that at the beginning, they always tell you who it's from. Because otherwise you'd be taking a scroll and having to take the thing all the way down to find out who wrote it to you. And so they always begin with the yours truly that we end our letters with so you know who's writing to you. So the first thing he sees is Paul. Now let me ask you a question. Timothy is in a time where people in his church are being fed to lions. Timothy's living in a time where people in his church are getting set on fire for their faith. He's, it's in a time where people are being persecuted and being, and being taken and tortured to give up the names of other Christians. And all Christians were under duress. And how much more pressure do you think the pastor of the church would be if all the Christians were being under duress? So I can only imagine when Tim, oh, Timothy opens that letter and he sees Paul's name. Do you think he would be encouraged to hear from the apostle Paul? who he knows is sitting in a cave, who he knows life is maybe coming to an end. And he gets a, a word coming from his father in the faith, if you will, a word, again, of instruction and exhortation in a time that's very difficult. Can I encourage you with something? Totally off the subject, just a little bit. Be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit to pick up your phone and call people as the Lord moves you to do it. Can I get an amen? I drive a lot between sales calls. On Friday, I drove an hour and a half out, and then the, the gal was sick, so I drove an hour and a half back. But during those three hours, I talked to about 15 people on the phone. And as you know what? A lot of times, it's just right on time. You know, the Holy Spirit is not the author of confusion. Sometimes he's going to move on you to call somebody, and they're going through a difficult time, and they need to have someone call and just pray for them and encourage them. Can I get an amen to that? Sometimes turn off the Netflix and pick up the phone and go through your contacts and pray and call some people. Well, Paul writes this letter. And we know the Holy Spirit is the one who prompted him to do it. And I know that it was an encouragement to Timothy. It says, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Now, it's interesting. He refers to himself as an apostle, but he and Timothy are close friends. And the reason that that's there, you need to understand that Paul is an apostle. And he knows he's not just writing a letter to his friend with some, uh, some of his thoughts. He's writing under the authority and the power of the Holy Spirit and his position as an apostle, which means this letter doesn't just apply to Timothy. It applies to all of us. Amen. 
So he could just say, hey, it's your bro. He doesn't say that. He says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Timothy, again, one of his dearest friends. He's still identified. The word apostle in Greek is the word we get ambassador or messenger. He, one that is sent out. You know what? I think that Paul wrote this every time he introduced himself because he was in awe of the fact that the mantle he was wearing and the calling that he had upon his life. I met a new pastor in town uh, at Walmart yesterday, and I'm praying for him. And as we were talking, this is always where I get to, is, you know, what a blessing and what a privilege it is to be a pastor. I can't believe we get to do this. It's not easy. Uh, you, you give up time that others don't, but it's a get to and not a have to. And we must never lose sight. So no matter what area you serve, remember, however you are serving the Lord, it's a get to, not a have to. Can I get an Amen. And be reminded what a blessing and what a joy. When this time has come and passed, only what we've done for Christ will last and nothing else is going to matter. Amen? And so he said, I'm an apostle by the will of God. Notice by the will of God, not the votes of men. Well, we had a, we had a, you know, we decided we'd have a vote. We could choose who the new apostles are. Yeah, that doesn't happen. And by the way, the same thing shouldn't happen in a church because we don't ordain people. God does. We just recognize it. Can I get an amen to that? And sometimes you'll see the pastor and four of his buddies are on the board or whatever of his church. And I'm like, I just, I'm sorry, bro. Are they called? Are they gifted? Are they able to teach? Do they, do they beat the qualifications of 1 Timothy chapter 3? But the understanding is that Paul was called by God and gifted by God and being used mightily by God. And you know what? Then God gets all the glory. Amen? God gets all the praise and all the glory, and they're not voted on by men. Guys, we don't vote on anything around here ever. We didn't even vote on tacos. We just decided to do it. Can I get an amen? <laughs> we don't vote. You know what we don't vote? The only time you see them voting is they wanted to go back to Egypt, and then they voted for Matthias, and we never see that brother again in the Bible to replace Judas. So we don't vote. We just obey. Can I get an amen to that? Well, we're a democracy, and I think well, this is a theocracy. And Jesus Christ is in control. Amen? And we worship him alone. I pity the person that appoints themselves. Because then they have to do it in their own ability. So each one has been appointed by God. Pastor by the will of God. Sunday school teacher by the will of God. Uh, worship leader by the will of God. Prayer team leader by the word of God. Uh, faithful servant on the helps ministry by the will of God. Encourager, supporter. Instead of seeking someone else's gift, be faithful with the gift God has given you. And that's how he introduces himself. May we learn to be faithful in whatever God has called us to do. He says here, by the will of God, according to the promise of life. We're in verse one and he's already talking about eternity. Look, Paul had seen heaven. Lystra, stoned to death, Pastor Dave's opinion. I believe he was stoned to death. Later he says, I know of a man who was caught up into the third heaven. He says what he saw is indescribable. And he came back down and God raised him from the dead in Lystra. And he went right back into the city and kept preaching again because he had seen heaven and you couldn't threaten him with heaven. Can I get an amen? And I think as believers, we need to have a better picture of what heaven looks like and what heaven is like. Heaven's better. You know why I'm not, now look, I'm not trying to be reckless, but I'm not afraid of COVID because if, even, first of all, if I get it, I'll be sick for a couple of days and I'll be fine. But if I'm not and I go to heaven, thank you, Jesus. And I think there's fear when we walk around and we're, we're more concerned about, we have this fearful, uh, you know, attitude. He said, the promise of life. And you know who's writing this? A guy sitting in a cave about to be beheaded. 
about to go before a man who he knows is feeding Christians to lions and setting them on fire. And he knows he's going to stand before that same crazy man. Now, he knows God can deliver him if he wants to because God's greater than Nero. Amen. At the same time, notice he doesn't. Do we see any complaining so far? Hey, it's the Apostle Paul. Where you people been, man? Get me out of here. Right? Paul doesn't complain in this whole letter, not once. And he's about to die. And he's in a, he's in a cold cave, may not be eating right. He's, he's in a place of torment. No complaining. Guys, we complain that the light's too long. <laughs> Amen? Lord, help us to be more like the Apostle Paul. Amen. Complaining's not becoming of a Christian. Amen? Amen? You know, having an eternal life, there's no greater encouragement or source of strength. See, that's where he's, he says, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus. So how do we have the promise of eternal life? Well, it's in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. Nobody else has the promise of, there's no promise of eternal life in Buddha. Amen? Or Muhammad. Or Joseph Smith of the Mormon Church. Or Charles Taze Russell, or Mary Baker Eddy, you know, Church of Religious Science, or the Jehovah's Witnesses, or all these other false fables and false teachers that are out there. Let me just say this there's no hope of eternal life in the Catholic Church. Now, I believe there are people in the Catholic Church that are going to heaven, but I believe the Catholic Church itself is a false gospel. When you got the Pope coming out saying there's other ways to heaven and saying that he believes a homosexual marriage is okay, I think we got a problem. Guys, it's the word of God, and it's the God of the word that gives us the promise of life. Guys, we know the creator of the universe, the Alpha and the Omega, the almighty God. Amen? Jesus Christ always has been. He's not created. He's creator. And he is our Lord, our God, our Savior, and our King. And when we gave our lives to him, he filled us with this Holy Spirit. He wrote our name in the Lamb's book of life. He will never leave us nor forsake us. Guys, when we close our eyes on earth, we're going to open them up in glory. Christians don't die. We just move to a much better neighborhood. Can I get an amen? And see, all that being said, here's the Apostle Paul. Hey, with the promise of life that comes in Christ Jesus. Paul's, I would rather be a Christian in a cave about to face a crazy man than an unbeliever in a palace having everything the world has to offer. And guys, that should be our heart, recognizing what a blessing it is to know the Lord. You know what? Christians die well. We have no need to fear death. And again, it's just moving day. So he doesn't pray that he would be delivered. Instead, he's encouraging his brother, even though he is in a more difficult situation. Promise of capital punishment he was about to receive, instead of worrying about the temporal, he continues to focus on the eternal. It's not the potential and soon loss of his temporal life, but the promise of eternal life that no Roman soldier, earthly adversary could ever take away from him. And we know again that the promise of life only comes in Jesus. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by him. He's the only way, he's the only truth, he's the only way you can have life apart from Jesus Christ. There is no hope. By the way, that's the, ne that's the next great question for the next, if there won't happen this time. Uh, the presidential debate ought to be, so where's your hope? Where's it coming from? You know, where are our hopes in Christ? Here's the good news. No matter what happens on Tuesday, God's on the throne on Wednesday. Amen. Amen. And no matter what happens on Tuesday, we're going to get up and keep preaching Jesus on Wednesday. And we're going to go to work and honor the Lord in our workplace. And we're going to tell others about the Lord. And we're going to pray for our president, whoever he is, even if it's a guy we didn't want. 
We're going to pray for him. We're going to pray for his salvation. Amen. We're going to pray for those in authority over us as the word of God commands us to do. Now he writes, who is it from? Now it says to, to Timothy, a beloved son. The word there for beloved son is agapetos, which is agape. It means dearly beloved, beloved, esteemed, dear, favorite, worthy of love. These two had a great deal of godly love for one another. They'd been through a great deal together. And probably this is the person that is closest to Paul on the planet. I have found that we get closer to people that we serve in ministry with. Can I get an amen to that? When you serve alongside people in ministry, you get closer to them. As you have a common goal to serve the Lord. Now this, this uh, it says a beloved. I love the word agape. It doesn't uh, tell him, I love you. You know, I love you. You're my son in the faith. He doesn't tell him run for his life, but to stand for the Lord. Here's what he says. Grace, mercy, and peace. From God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. The word grace there, karos, means it's a Greek greeting. God giving you what you don't deserve. Aren't you glad you're not being given what you deserve? Next time you get upset and go, I don't deserve this. Just remember what you do deserve and then you'll back off on that a little bit. Can I get an amen? I don't deserve to be treated that way. No, we deserve hellfire is what we deserve. But by his grace, amen, by his shed blood on Calvary, we're not going to be given what we deserve. It says mercy. The word is mercy. There's God not giving you what you do deserve. Grace is giving you something you don't deserve. And mercy is not giving you what you do deserve. And then the last word there, uh, peace, is Hebrew shalom. Again, it's always in that order. It's grace and peace, grace and peace, grace and peace. Whenever you see a letter, because without grace, there can be no peace. Amen. Without the grace of God, there's no peace with God. Without the Prince of Peace, you'll never know peace. Peace is not the absence of war. Peace is not having no problems in your life. Peace is not having a big bank account and a comfortable place to live and everybody being healthy. Peace is right standing before Almighty God. Amen. Even in the midst of war and even if everything else has been lost. It's only in the pastoral epistles do we see Paul put mercy in the middle there. So he always says mercy because he knows the pastors need it. Can I get an amen? Grace, mercy, and peace. Again, without grace and mercy, there can be no peace. He says there, and where does it come from? From God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Again, only the Prince of Peace can bring us the peace that we need and only from him. Then he says in verse 3, speaking of Timothy, I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience as my forefathers, as without ceasing, I remember you in my prayers night and day. So we talked about the first point there is being a person of prayer. And I thank my God whom I serve. Now Paul is sitting in prison, unjustly arrested, in a dark, cold, dank cave, and he starts his letter off, again, not with words of complaint, but thanking God. I, look what he says there, I thank God. I would hope, if I was in Paul's situation, that I could thank God. But I have an idea, I might be complaining and upset with God. But he thanks God. And we need to learn to thank God, because again, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. Amen. So we praise him in times of blessing and not in times of adversity. He's a faithful God and a loving God. He knows what's best for us. And we need to praise him in the midst of the storm. Amen? And that's faith that hasn't been tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. He's thankful also for Timothy's genuine faith. 
Paul had spent his life in service to the Lord. And it was time when so many were walking away. Paul, as we will see in a few verses, was thankful for Timothy's genuine faith in a time when so many were walking away from the faith of their, uh, out of fear of persecution. And again, his faith was being tested and it was proving to be a faith that could be trusted. The only thing that matters to Paul at the end of life is others walking with God. He says, I thank God whom I serve. The word serve there means to serve, minister to, or worship. Let me tell you this. If you're not hearing from God, it's not God's fault. Can I get an amen to that? And if you're not as close to God as you used to be, who moved? Amen. God doesn't move away from us. We move away from him. And let me just tell you, if you're struggling in your walk with the Lord, I had a pastor call me not too long ago, and he was, he was considering quitting the ministry because he said his spiritual walk was so dry. And I said, well, bro, if it's dry, you need to get back under the fountain. Can I get an amen? You know, how you, if your spiritual walk is dry, it's not the Lord's fault. You know why our spiritual walk is dry? Because we're not spending enough time with the Lord. Amen. Do you have an intimate fellowship with God every single day? Is Jesus Christ your best friend? Do you hunger for his word? Are you walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit? Again, it all gets back to spend some time in his presence. The Bible says we're to desire the word of God more than our necessary food. More than those tacos. Can I get an amen? We're to desire the word of God. Can you imagine if we opened our Bible as many times as we opened the fridge? And guess what happens when we spend time in the Lord's presence to know him better is to love him more and to love him more is to walk in intimate fellowship with him. And it's to live a life that is fruitful. Amen. But what happens is people, hey, my ministry is not going well. And it's not, how's your walk with the Lord, bro? How much time are you spending in the word? How much time are you spending in prayer? Are you in fellowship with other people? Guys, we only grow dry if we walk away from the one who fills us up. He says, with a pure conscience, he's imprisoned, falsely accused, had done nothing wrong. What an incredible picture of God's grace Paul is. He was Saul of Tarsus. He was the Osama bin Laden of his day. He hated Christians. He was tracking them down. He he wasn't as bad as Nero, but he he was a guy who became an apostle that was as close to Nero of anybody who was an apostle. He hated Christians. He attacked them. He went out with letters. He was zealous. He was zealous for the law, but did not know the true and living God. He held the coats while they stoned Stephen to, they stoned Stephen to death, the first martyr. He persecuted the church, but now being converted, was forgiven, born again, new creation in Christ. And now he has a pure conscience. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Amen. Satan will always want to remind you of your past. If you gave your life to the Lord, he will continue to beat you up with it. And I have people that will call me. I just still feel horrible about what I used to be. You know what? The Lord's forgotten it. You need to. Amen. Amen? He separates your sin as far as the east is from the west. He will bring it up no more. So when you're being, it's not conviction of the Holy Spirit that's reminding of your sinful past. It's the lie of the devil that's reminding you of your sinful past. Amen? Remember who you are in Christ. You're a new creation in Christ. You're you're born again. Again, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. There is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Paul has a clear conscience, even though at one point he was the arch enemy of the Christian church. It's not who he was before Christ, but who he is in Christ that matters. And he's got a clear conscience before the Lord. 
We must never allow the enemy to bring us into a place of condemnation, again, for that person we used to be before we knew the Lord. He says here at the end of that verse, in the middle of it, it says, as our forefathers did. The Old Testament saints who too had been faithful in the midst of great trials. You know, one of the many, I feel like Pastor Chuck used to say this, and I totally agree with it. He said some of his best friends are Daniel, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Joseph. He said, those are some of my best friends. Because you know what? We kind of hang out with them as we study the word. Can I get an amen? We, 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 we walk through their lives with them. We see how God used them. We see the trials that they went through. And, you know, your heart even breaks. I, I was reading when I talked about David's death a few weeks ago on Thursday night. I was getting teary-eyed that David died. He's in heaven, but I love David. I mean, I'm glad my parents named me David. I don't like the Bathsheba part of David. I like the giant part of David. <laughs> but he was a man for God's own heart because he was a man who was quick to repent. And he was a man who walked in intimate fellowship with the Lord. But he, I love how he, you know, he says, you know, I'm just like our forefathers. Other people suffered for Christ. Paul's like, why not me? Ezekiel suffered. Joseph suffered. Daniel suffered. Jeremiah suffered. I can suffer. I can stand for the Lord in the midst of persecution, just like they did. How are we any better than that? We're not. Can I get an amen to that? And we ought to count it a privilege to suffer for the cost of Christ if necessary, to remain faithful in the midst of a perverse and wicked generation. And then here, look what he says. I remember you in my prayers night and day. Isn't it an honor and a blessing to know that someone's praying for you? Is there a greater gift anybody can give you? And I don't mean just saying they're praying, but really praying. Because sometimes oh, yeah, I'll pray for you, bro. Okay. What's my name again? Do you remember? You know, I'm quick when you ask for prayer to pray for you on the spot to make sure I prayed for you then and then to remember to pray for you. But you know what? The greatest gift anybody can give me, the greatest gift anybody can give you is to pray for you. So here's Timothy getting a letter from a brother. I know I'm beating this into the ground, but he's in a cave. He's been falsely accused. He's going to be beheaded, and he's praying for Timothy. What, a, what, a, what an encouragement to Timothy, amen? His father in the faith, if you will, who's got some time on his hands now, is interceding on his behalf. I found this to be true. Prayer doesn't change God's mind. It changes our hearts. Amen? And the people we pray for the most, we find ourselves loving the most. Amen? When you pray for people, your heart gets knit to theirs. And so we need to be praying for each other. We're going to do another church directory because the one we have now, a lot of you aren't in it. And that church directory sits on my desk and I go through it. And if you're in there, you're getting prayed for. So if you want to get prayed for, you better get your picture taken next time. Amen. No, I'm just saying, but at the same time, as you pray for people, your heart gets knit to theirs. I don't have a lot of time, but you know, I told you this, that years ago when I first started working for the company I've been with for 32 years, I was driving from Lancaster to uh, downtown LA and then later to, to uh, uh, Woodland Hills. And my office was filled with just a bunch of messed up people. And I was in my early 20s and they just disgusted me. I was like, these people... Yeah, people sleeping around and doing drugs at lunch. And it was just, a, it was a nightmare. And then God convicted me. Are you, pray, who's praying? Are you praying for them? Oh, uh, no. I'm complaining about them. I'm not praying for them. And then I got a list of the 200 names and I started praying for all of them by name. I prayed for 20 every single day. And you know what happened? The people didn't change, but my heart toward them did. 
And I started having a burden to see them saved. And instead of being disgusted by them, I was burdened for them. And over time, God allowed us to start a Bible study. And a bunch of people started getting saved. And they started calling us the God squad in the office. And God used it for his glory. See, prayer doesn't change God's mind. It changes our hearts. And our hearts need to be aligned with his. Can I get an amen? amen. Lord, change us. He's interceding on his behalf. Paul knows. Paul knows what he's going. Paul's been a pastor himself. He knows what Timothy's going through. And he's praying for him wanting to encourage him because he knows the temptation and the trials and the persecution and the discouragement, time when they couldn't afford to lose even one more faithful servant, the temptation for a pastor to water down the mess. You know, he's like, he's going to tell him, I'm praying for you, but I don't want you to water down the message so the persecution will stop. See, there's that, if I just obey the government, then maybe I'll stop being persecuted. If I, if I don't, if I just, you know, go with the flow, any dead fish can go with the flow, by the way. But if I just go with the flow, then maybe I won't catch so much heat. Guys, we're not called to go with the flow of the will of man. We're called to be faithful to the calling of God. Amen? And that's the Apostle Paul's heart and the exhortation that he has here. He's praying night and day for young Pastor Timothy that he would remain faithful, even though it could cost him his life. To fight the good fight, to not to succumb to temptation, to not be discouraged or become ineffective due to the heavy persecution or spiritual warfare. How great a blessing to know that someone who has been where you are is praying for you. And again, Paul lost the ability to go out and plant churches because he's in a cave, but he did not lose the ability to continue to do ministry, and he continues to pray. Can I encourage you to intercede on behalf of others? Missionaries, lost family and friends, ministry, this local church or the local church you may attend. Join in the battle. God will bless it. It's a great, great source of encouragement for those who are on the front line. So point number one of living a life that will impact eternity be a, by being a person of prayer. Number two, by passing your faith on to the next generation. Look at verse four and five. Greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy. The word there, greatly desired, means to long for, desire to pursue with love. Note the agape love between Christian brothers and co-laborers in the faith. There was a walk, as they walked in faithful obedience to do God's will, there was not only an outward persecution from the world, but an inward temptation from the flesh. And in the midst of that, he let him know that I greatly desire to see you. There will always be difficult circumstances that sometimes, here's what's hard. You do ministry with people and your hearts get knit to each other and then God calls one of them to move far away. And you know it's the Lord and that's what happened with Paul and Timothy. They were serving together. Paul departs. It's his father in the faith and now Timothy's doing the ministry. And he greatly desires to see him. I've shared this before that when my, my daughter and my son-in-law planted a Calvary Chapel in Colorado about five years ago, and we moved them out there. We drove their driving through, and a lot of the rest of the family didn't want them to move. It took my grandkids with them, but they moved to Colorado, and we helped them get set up in their house, and they were planning a brand new church. And when I was at the airport, we were leaving and we were walking away after our daughter dropped us off. She was standing outside the car. And my wife said to me, hey, hey, babe, Ashley's crying. It's our daughter. And I went back and she had tears running down her face. She said, dad, it's worth it, right? I said, baby girl, it's worth it. 
five years later, the church is growing. They're going to two services. People are getting saved. Lives are being changed. It's worth it. Amen. But that doesn't mean we don't still long to be with each other. And Paul's saying, I have a great desire to see you. I mean, bro, we're brothers. You know, I, I love that, that when you have Jesus in common, you got everything in common. Amen. And when you serve together, it's a blessing. But at the same time, there will always be difficult circumstances that may separate us from those that we love. And that's what's happening here. It says, being mindful of your tears in Greek, to remind oneself, to remember. Probable reference to their last separation, Timothy weeping as Paul was either taken away and arrested or as Paul left to go where he was going. Again, he knows that Paul's called, but there's still tears that are shed because we love each other and we missed each other. And it's even a possible reference to Timothy being aware that Paul was probably going to die pretty soon. So as Paul's writing Timothy, he's writing Timothy to comfort his tears, tears that he is crying, weeping over the fact that Paul's probably going to be the one that's probably going to die. And even though he's going to die, he's comforting his brother. That's the heart of a man who walks in the fullness of the Holy Spirit and is focused on others, not on himself. Amen. By the way, weeping is not unmanly. Can I get an amen to that? Amen. Jesus wept. You know, we, you know, weeping's for wimps. Really? Tell Jesus that. <laughs> he wept at the tomb of Lazarus. He, leapt over, he wept over Jerusalem. You know, he sweated great drops of blood as he was about to go to the cross. And you know what? He, you know, he wept over Jerusalem because people had turned their back on him. You know, the thing that should cause us to weep is people who don't know the Lord and, and, and are going to spend eternity separated from him if they don't get saved. Amen? But he's weeping. He says, notice at the end of verse uh, 4 there, that I may be filled with joy. Paul in prison, cold, facing death, and the enemies just how the sight of his beloved son in the faith would fill him with joy amidst all the troubles and afflictions he had endured for the gospel. Just seeing his co-labor would bring joy to his heart. I, we haven't had any pastor's conferences this year because of COVID. And I love pastor's conferences. I love the word of God. I love the worship. But some of it's just reconnecting with people that are doing the same thing we're doing all over the world. And seeing these guys and hugging on their neck, it's a joyful reunion just to have a meal with them and encourage each other and love on each other, minister to each other. And I just think it's a special thing. And that's Paul's heart here. I would just be so filled with joy if I could see you. This was a, an instance of hearty and sincere and strong affection. Paul had a great love for his son in the faith. He not only would rejoice in seeing him again, but as we're going to see here in the next verse, the ultimate joy seeing, that seeing him would bring uh, brings to him the remembrance of his genuine faith. Look at verse 5. When I call in remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. When he remembers him, he remembers his faith. He remembers the great faith. And he sees him as a son in the faith. And one of my favorite verses in the Bible is 3 John 4. I have no greater joy than to, know, to hear that my children walk in the truth. Is there anything you want as a parent more? Anything? Is there any amount of money that would be better than seeing your kids walking with Jesus? My kids are walking with Jesus. I'm going to be the happiest man on the planet. I'm going to be the most joyful man on the planet. Because no, I have no greater joy. And that same joy is in the heart of Paul when he thinks of Timothy and how he's walking with the Lord. But notice he takes a moment to talk about his grandmother and his mother. Which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois 
In your mother, Eunice, and I am persuaded it is also in you. Timothy had not only a spiritual father in Paul, but a godly heritage and upbringing as a child. We'll see in chapter 3. From a childhood, you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Parents, the most valuable thing you can give your kids is not a nice house or nice clothes. Those things are fine. It's not even a good education. That thing's fine. That's fine as well. But more important than all of it, is that they know Jesus. The best thing you can do is model the truth of who God is, teach them who Jesus is, live it out in front of them, maintain a godly standard in your house. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Amen. Amen. If my kids are working, making minimum wage and on fire for Jesus, I'm going to be ecstatic. And if they're making a million dollars a year and they don't know the Lord, that's a disaster. Amen. Amen. Amen? Even as Christians, how are your kids doing? Oh, he just got his, you know, his, he got a promotion at work and they just bought a house and they, and that's fine. I'm not saying that's wrong. And you can't be happy about that. What I'm saying though is, but they'll go through all that. Well, he's not walking with the Lord, but other than that, he's doing great. <laughs> well, if he's not walking with the Lord, he's not doing great. Amen. amen. And praise God for praying grandmas. Can I get an amen? amen. Your grandmother knew the Lord and she was praying for you, Timothy. And your grandmother, Lois, and your mom, Eunice, if you read through the scriptures, it's believed that Luke's dad wasn't a believer, but his mom and his grandmother were, and they poured into t- to, to Timothy's life, and Timothy gave his life to the Lord. And you know what? Praise God for those who pray for us and for our children. Every night when my kids were little, I would go into the room, and I'd put my hand on each one of their little foreheads. And I would pray for the person they were going to be when they grew up. I'd pray that they would grow up to love and serve Jesus. I'd always pray for their spouse. So as my kids get married, I looked at my son-in-law and said, I've been praying for you for 19 years when he married my daughter. And you know what? When, and you know what? I'll tell you what's really touching is I would do that every night. And my kids would know it. A lot of times they'd be awake and I'd pray for them. And I got really sick. Uh, my daughter was, I think, four or five years old. And I was laying on the sofa because I didn't want to get my wife sick. And I was sweating and I wasn't feeling well. And I'm laying there. And I felt this little hand go in my head. She prayed for me because dad prayed for her. Guys, when we model it, our kids catch it. Can I get an amen? amen? And Lois prayed for Timothy. And Eunice prayed for Timothy. And, and Paul thanks God for his grandmother and his mother who were Christ-like examples to him. And not only was Paul an example to him, but so were people in his life. The richest children are those who have a knowledge and a right of right and wrong and the foundation of God's word. And they see it lived out through their parents and their grandparents. Acts 16 intimates that Timothy's, again, father was a Greek and most likely unsaved. And praise God, in the midst of that, they had Christian grandparents and a, and a mom who taught him the truth. Timothy was now standing strong in the midst of a wicked generation while so many were walking away. And he could thank his mom and his grandmother for that and for the work, of, of course, of the Holy Spirit in his life. So, too, if our children are to stand faithful and be able to navigate through life in the midst of wicked and perverse generation, we must give them a godly heritage, raise them in a godly home, and teach them the Word of God. Guys, the Word of God will transform the, the future of your children. Amen? Give them memory verses at home. Spend time in God's word. We're going to do one last point. Verse 6 and 7. And we'll get to time of communion. By stirring up that gift that is within you. Look at verse 6. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift which is in you through the laying on of my hands. 
passage suggests that Timothy was a man who tended to be timid, a man who didn't like to confront people, a man of great love and warmth, a love that might accommodate wrong rather than hurt someone's feelings. As we saw in 1 Timothy, a man who was not only timid, but often susceptible to fear. And Timothy's you know, shepherd has a tender heart for the sheep, but Paul wants to develop within him a boldness that needed to, be, uh, needed to protect the flock. Guys, we don't love people if we don't protect them. Amen? We love them by feeding them and caring for them, but we also need to protect them. And then he tells him to stir up the gift that is in you. What Timothy could not do in his natural fear, Timothy could do uh, in the supernatural gifting God had given him. When God calls you, God will give you the gift you need to do what you're called to do. Can I get an amen? When God calls you to do something, if you're afraid to do it, just step out and watch God show up. I'll tell you what, there's few things more exciting in this life than when something like that happens. Amen? When you get out of your comfort zone and you watch God show up in a mighty and a powerful way. You know, as Christians, we sometimes we're praying for more gifts. We just need to learn to be faithful to the gifts he's already given us. Amen? What are some of the gifts in this room? Gifts of teaching, giving, administration, evangelism helps, uh, hard, hard to serve. And some of you have used them in the past. Maybe you've stopped. Others have never stepped out, sought to be stirred up due to fear. Timothy was called and gifted. Hands were laid on him in recognition of that, like ordination. And we too need to... Be willing to get out of our comfort zone. Do this between you and the Lord. Lord, here I am. Send me. Amen? Lord, whatever the question is, the answer is yes. I'm in. Whatever you want me to do, Lord, I want to do it for you. Timothy struggled with fear. He needed to be encouraged, to be stirred up from within. Just as God will not force salvation upon us, so too will not force us to use the gifts he's given us. I feel, I feel bad for people that have been gifted by God and you never use it because you don't know what you're missing. You just don't know what you're missing. There's nothing greater than to serve Jesus. Amen? Fan the flames. Lord, light the fire again. You guys remember that song? Lord, light the fire again. Lastly, look what it says in verse 7. I quoted this a few times in the last six months. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. Where does fear come from? The word, the word fear, you know what it is? You ready? Cowardice. That's the word, that's the word in, the, in Hebrew. It's cowardice. Do not be a coward. Now here's what a coward is. A coward is somebody who thinks only of himself and not of anyone else. So when the attack comes, he runs to save his own life with no fear, no worry about anybody else's life. God has not given us a spirit of cowardice. Amen? Amen? And I'm not saying to be, you know, hey, it's going to be hard for me to step out in faith. Okay, I get that. We all, we all get that. We've all had that. Amen? And oh Lord, help me. I know you want me to do it. Help me. But a coward is somebody who just refuses. I'm afraid. I can't do it. God has not given us a spirit of fear. We all face situations where we feel timid or afraid, confrontation. We might be made to look foolish. We might be rejected. We might fail. Uh, we might be afraid of the evil in the world or, or your family getting sick or being harmed. There was a lady in my youth group. Uh, I, kids were trying to come to youth group in Lancaster when I knew Chris when he was a young man. That was a long time ago, huh, Chris? But we're doing youth back in the 90s, and she would not allow her kids to come to youth group because she would never leave, let the kids leave the house because she was afraid something would happen to them. And so she lived this life of constant fear. But that's not, that's not what God has given us. We don't have fear. Can I get an amen? Remember that fear, 
Anxiety and worry are all things we experience at time, but all of those are of our flesh and none of those are of the spirit. Fear, anxiety, and worry are all kind of the opposite of faith. Amen? When we have faith, we step out. We're not cowards. We, and notice what it says here. So how's the contrast? The source of our feels, it can be our personality. It can be a fleshly weakness. It can be attack of the enemy. In any, in any case, it's not from God. His spirit never leads us through fear of our circumstances or the fear of man. You know what? He, he, God is in control. God is faithful. And when we step up and allow God to use us, he'll do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think. Let's finish off. Look what he says at the end of that verse. He's not giving us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. By the way, in the Bible, 365 times it says, do not fear. One for every day of the year. You know why? Because we all fear sometimes. Can I get an amen to that? You don't tell people, do not fear 365 times who don't fear. You tell people who you know may fear. Notice he says, but the power, the word power there, I'll give you one guess. It's dunamis. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. The word dunamis is where we get the word dynamite or dynamic. Amen? And guess what? When you have the Lord, you don't, you're not walking in a spirit of fear, but you're walking empowered by the Lord. When the Holy Spirit came upon them in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, right? Go and wait. In Acts chapter 2, the Spirit comes upon them, and they go out, and they speak with great boldness. Guys, he's not giving us a spirit of fear, but of power. And then of love. The word love there, one guess. What do you think? Agape. It's a perfect love. The Bible says a perfect love casts out all fear. Love for God and others that is greater than our love for ourselves. See, we're a coward if I love myself and I become brave if I love other people more than I love myself. If I'm more concerned about somebody spending eternity in hell than, be, than having them not like me and being a coward because I'm afraid they might not like me or I'm afraid they, I might have a hard time from them, then we, we sit back and we allow ourselves to be cowards. But when we're walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, it's not about me, it's about him and it's about others. Can I get an amen? Jesus, others, yourself. It's where you get joy, right? Putting Jesus first. The love for God and others that is greater than our love for ourselves. And again, the coward's number one concern is preservation of his own life at any cost. That's why people will scream at you if you're 40 feet away from him and not wearing a mask. <laughs> you know who should be afraid? People that don't know Jesus. Amen? You know why people are panicking about any disease and this disease? Because they're, they're afraid of losing this life because they don't know what's after this life. And again, we should be good stewards of this life, but we know what's coming next. And guys, it's better. And we don't have to be afraid. Can I get an amen? Finally, he says a sound mind. It's a calm, disciplined, and self-controlled mind. Again, a, in contrast to panic and confusion that rushes in on us when we're, when we're afraid. When people are afraid, do they act rationally? I'm afraid. <laughs> they just make stupid decisions. Amen. When you're afraid, you just you get out of control and you get focused on yourself and you don't know what to do. But when you don't have fear, you have a sound mind, calmed and disciplined and self-controlled, a mind that is moved by the word of God, not by our emotions. Our emotions lie to us every single day. Our emotions real. What's the answer? Yes, but there also could be wrong. You're mo what, but I feel, but I think, but I feel, but I think, but I feel. And someone called me this week that listens on the radio far away from here. And they, they were, but I feel, but I think. I said, bro, just stop. I don't care what you feel, what you think. Who cares? 
Doesn't matter. What does the Bible say? But I feel what you feel is a lie and what the Bible says is true. So obey your feelings and be outside of God's will or obey the word of God. But I just feel like it's okay for me to leave my wife. No, it's not okay. Can I get an amen? And we get whipped up by our feelings. Sound mind. Holy Spirit doesn't produce fear in our lives. The fear of circumstances, the fear of man, the fear that renders us uh, from using our gifting, but the power to witness with boldness, to step out in faith when we're afraid, to love and esteem others greater than ourselves, and to have a mind moved by God's word, not fear in our emotions. Timothy had all the spiritual ingredients and gift and needed for a fruitful life, and all he had to do was stir it up, the gift that he was already given. This is heavy duty stuff. We're only half a chapter in. It gets heavier. Get ready. I want you to read ahead. Guys, you want to live a life that impacts eternity? Do you want to, you know, guys, on your deathbed, do you want to have regrets because you spent all your time, you know, earning money? It's amazing that people spend all their time earning money and then all their money trying to get back time. And guys, we need to live every day to honor Jesus. And we need to live every day in light of eternity and live every day doing things that will, that will outlast this life. The only thing we're taking to heaven with us is people. Amen? Amen? So living a life that will impact eternity by being a person of prayer, by passing your faith onto the next generation, and by using the spiritual gifts God has given you. And now we're going to go right into a time of communion.